0: Well, good morning, Christ City. Our reading this morning comes from Isaiah 11, 1 to 10 and John 1, 29. There shall come forth a shoot from the stump of Jesse, and a branch from his root shall bear fruit. And the Spirit of the Lord shall rest upon him, the Spirit of wisdom and understanding, the Spirit of counsel and might, the Spirit of knowledge and the fear of the Lord. And his delight shall be in the fear of the Lord. and the calf and the lion and the fattened calf together and a little child shall lead them. The cow and the bear shall graze, their young shall lie down together, and the lion shall eat straw like the ox. The nursing child shall pl- play over the hole of the cobra, and the wean child shall put his hand on the adder's den. They shall not hurt or destroy in all my holy mountain, for the earth shall be full of the knowledge of the Lord as the waters cover the sea. In that day, the root of Jesse, who shall stand as a signal for the peoples, of him shall the nations inquire, and his resting place shall be glorious. And John 1, verse 29. The next day he saw Jesus coming toward him and said, Behold the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. What makes for peace? What makes for peace? Asking that question today will likely result in a variety of receiving, a variety of answers, all having to do in some way, shape, or form with freedom from something. Peace, as we could culturally define it, is the harmony, right, the tranquility that results from freedom from something. So, for example, what makes for peace? Freedom from my kids for an evening uh, three weeks into lockdown. That would make for peace. What makes for peace? Freedom from the people who demand so much of our time, our energy, and our patience. What makes for peace? Freedom from the ideas and the rhetoric of those you disagree with. What makes for peace? Well, we're not entirely sure what makes for peace, but whatever it is, it is freedom from a certain group of people, a certain set of circumstances, and a certain way of thinking. Of that we are convinced. It might surprise us, then, to learn this morning that for much of human existence, and certainly as the Bible speaks, the question, what makes for peace, was seldom answered as freedom from, and instead was met with freedom to. So let me explain. Specifically, peace was freedom to submit oneself to a just ruler. Peace was freedom to serve and live in the reign of a good king. Peace was freedom to know that the government over you was doing what was righteous and honorable and noble and just. In short, for most of our history, our ancestors have answered the question, what makes for peace, with something like peace is freedom to submit to good authority. A good authority that will then lead us into the good life. We could define biblical peace like this. It is a life of right relatedness to one another, to creation, and ultimately to God. It is a life of right-relatedness, everything being put back into joint, as it were. And I realize, having said submit and authority in the same sentence, that this is a difficult answer for us to swallow in our day and age. For one, in an increasingly polarized world, and we keep on saying that, but it seems to get more and more polarized, doesn't it? In an increasingly polarized world, it's difficult to imagine everyone everywhere, agreeing on a government that would universally bring peace to all parties involved. Further, perhaps more foundationally, as we've already seen, peace for us is not found, it's never been found in external authority, but in establishing our own internal authority. That's what we believe. It is freedom from someone and definitely not freedom to someone. So peace for us is this elusive feeling we chase, And we run after. It's a harmony we desire, but we never actually arrive at it. And I want to suggest this morning that living in this age of anxiety, perhaps our pursuit of peace has been misaimed, has been misdirected. Maybe what makes for peace is not freedom from, but freedom to. But freedom to whom? To who? This is the question we should be asking. This is the question that brings us to Isaiah 11, and this is the question that Isaiah will answer for us. What makes for peace? Freedom to serve, freedom to worship, freedom to live under the reign of the good king. And if you're still unsure about this answer, you don't believe me, I want us to do one very simple thing this morning. I want us to behold the king who makes for peace in Isaiah 11, verses 1 to 10. Here we'll see this. First, what he is like. Second, what he will do. And thirdly and finally, what this peace that he brings actually looks like. And so first point, this good king who will make for peace, what is he like? What is he like? In Isaiah 11 verse 1, we find this, this strange phrase. There shall come forth a shoot from the stump of Jesse and a branch from his roots shall bear fruit. And to understand what Isaiah is saying here, we have to go back to Isaiah 6. And there Isaiah is pronouncing judgment on Israel. Israel, like a tree that is felled in the forest, will be chopped down and scorched by Assyria. Why? Because Israel, under the leadership of wicked kings and wicked governments, has broken covenant. They have sinned. In fact, they have become the oppressors. So God raises up Assyria to cut down his people. Now Assyria is the prototypical world power. Peace was enforced by the king, the representative of Asher, A-S-H-U-R, the supreme deity on earth, by the edge of the sword, by war. What made for peace, according to the supreme deity Asher, it was simple, a king who would muster the strength of the superpower to wage holy wars on any rival nation who stood in its way. That's what made for for peace. And it's a predictable solution, isn't it? In fact, it's a formula that will be employed by Babylon after Assyria and Persia after Babylon. Babylon. and and Greece after Persia, and Rome after Greece. It's a formula that Israel itself tried to imitate, and to this day, one nation states around the world try to copy as they try to answer the question, what makes for peace with, well, more of us? That's what makes for peace. More of our way of living. More of our way of thinking. More of our way of being. And what we need to see in the whole biblical narrative this morning is that God opposes the proud. He opposes proud people, and he opposes proud peoples. Right before our passage about a stump and a shoot, listen to how the Lord describes the future of the vast forest that is Assyria. Behold, the Lord God of hosts will lop the bows with terrifying power, The great in height will be hewn down and the lofty will be brought low. He will cut down the thickets of the forest with an axe and Lebanon will fall by the majestic one. See, in asking the question, what is he like, this one who will make for peace, we must first see that this king is, is unlike any other king who has come before. He's unlike any other king who has come before. He's unlike other kings first in his beginnings. We read, he'll come from the stump of Jesse. As one scholar said, this indicates humble origins. Recently, my wife and I have been watching the show uh, The Crown. And we just started, so we're in season one or two or somewhere along there. But you know the show The Crown, which is about the British monarchy. In that show, pedigree counts for everything. What, what house do you come from? What school were you trained at? Who does your family know? No, this king will have humble beginnings. He will not have the earthly pedigree of other kings. He's unlike other kings in his beginnings, but he's also, perhaps more foundationally, unlike other kings in his very nature. In his very nature, we read, Upon this king, this ruler, the very Spirit of God will rest. Now, let me just think about this with you in in terms of a contrast. In contrast, Consider, if you will, the spirit of every ruler who's ever walked this earth. Proud, right? Self-serving, egotistical. Even history's best rulers are shown, sometimes after they die, to have had at least one fatal flaw, at least one major character deficiency. But it's not so with this king. Because the Spirit of God rests upon him, he, above all else, fears the Lord. We saw that twice, didn't we? He fears the Lord. And it is this fear of the Lord, not fear of losing power or fear of having his humble origins exposed, which by the Spirit, this fear of the Lord, is what makes him wise and powerful. He knows He walks in relationship with perfectly, in perfect intimacy with God, with his Father, as we'll discover. He does all this perfectly. Again, not to make too many references to the crown, but there is another episode where Winston Churchill, uh, arguably one of the most celebrated political leaders of the 20th century, is presented by the directors and the writers as wildly insecure. He's nearing the end of his political life. And a painting is commissioned for him uh, by, uh, by a famous artist, by both parties. And when it is finished and unveiled, Churchill, he cannot bear to look at the truth of how he's presented as weak and frail by this painter. Instead of standing up tall and proud as the triumphant conqueror of Hitler that he perceived himself to be, instead he was portrayed as weak and frail and sitting in a chair. Very much an old man fearful of lingering communist powers, of how his own people might perceive him, of how his legacy will be tarnished. The episode ends with this painting being lit on fire. He burns it. He can't stand to see himself as he truly is in that moment, wildly insecure. But it's not just our leaders who are insecure. We are also insecure. We, like many who have been tasked to preside over us, live our lives concerned with maintaining what little power or control we have. And if we are brutally honest, we care much more about pleasing other profiles on social media, about appeasing other avatars on social media than we do about pleasing the Lord, fearing the Lord, So what's said of Israel at the very beginning of Isaiah can rightly be attributed to us when he writes, The ox knows its owner, and the donkey its master's crib. But Israel does not know, my people do not understand. Our king stands in contrast to this. He knows. He stands in contrast to every man fearing, man pleasing ruler who thinks that what would make for peace is appeasing another person rather than God. What is he like, this Messiah, this rescuing king? He, full of the Spirit, lives and moves and has his being in perfect relation to the Father. He delights in obeying God. Indeed, it is is his joy. And because his delight shall be in the fear of the Lord, he will do only what is righteous and faithful. Look at verse 5 with me. We read this. Righteousness shall be the belt of his waist and faithfulness to the belt of his loins. In other words, righteousness and faithfulness are this rescuing king's most intimate undergarments, we could say. One commentator says this, I love it. When you strip away everything else, what do you find in this king? A continuing concern to be right with all that is right and to be true to all that is true in God's universe. Are we beginning to see what this king is like? Are you beginning to recognize why only his authority, only his rule, only his reign can make for peace? Now there is a direct link, of course, between character and action. And Isaiah tells us not only what this king is like, but this is point two, what he will do. What he will do. Look at verses three to four with me. And his delight shall be in the fear of the Lord. He shall not judge by what his eyes see or decide disputes by what his ears hear, but with righteousness he shall judge the poor and decide with equity for the meek of the earth he shall strike the earth with the rod of his mouth, and with the breath of his lips he shall kill the wicked. Knowing perfectly, he will execute justice perfectly on behalf of the righteous. Now how will he do this? Later in Isaiah, we learn more about this king, this spirit-filled upholder of justice, will be identified not only as a king, but also, amazingly, as a servant. And one of the ways our servant king brings about peace through justice is though we are thicker and dumber than a donkey and an ox, he, this servant king, bears the just punishment of God on our behalf, in our place. Isaiah 53, verse 5. But he, our servant king, was pierced for our transgressions. He was crushed for our iniquities. Upon him was the chastisement that brought us peace, and with his wounds we are healed. From the very beginning of God's covenant with his people, animals had been sacrificed in the place of sinners. Blood was shed on behalf of sinners for atonement for sin. And what the law and Isaiah point to in shadow, John the Baptist fills in in color when he exclaims concerning Jesus of Nazareth in our text we read this morning, Behold, the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. Jesus is our spirit-filled, Father-delighting King who, born to humble circumstances in a manger, executes justice for all the poor and needy like you and like me in taking the Father's just punishment for sin onto Himself. Again we ask, what makes for peace? It is not first freedom from your enemies. It is not first even freedom from your circumstances nor is it even first freedom from this world. What makes for peace first is a person, a wholehearted, nowhere else I can turn, submission to this person, to King Jesus. So let me just ask you this morning, do you truly believe that knowing and worshiping And submitting to King Jesus makes for peace. Fast forward 700 years after Isaiah, after John has pronounced Jesus as the Lamb who takes away the sins of the world, and we find Jesus himself approaching Jerusalem, entering the last week of his life. And as he comes near Jerusalem, he begins to weep. He begins to lament, saying, Would that you, he's speaking to Jerusalem, would that you, Jerusalem, even you had known on this day the things that make, that make for peace, but now they are hidden from your eyes. Down to the very last moment, Jerusalem failed to recognize Jesus as the Prince of Peace from Isaiah 9. Failed to recognize who he is and what he had come to do. See, the same is true with us. And if I'm honest, the same is true with me. We've seen how many in our day have understood peace as a tranquility and and harmony that comes from being freed from something. But, But there's perhaps a more nefarious false understanding of peace that I'm very much tempted toward this morning. And it goes like this. It says, Jake, You can bring peace, wholeness, flourishing, shalom. You can fix things in this world by yourself, on your own, through your own effort, if you just work hard enough. Our only hope for peace in any circumstance, I want you to think of a circumstance right now where you need peace, like true Peace, biblical peace, right-relatedness to God and creation, to one another. Our only hope for peace in all and any circumstance is that the Prince of Peace himself, who now lives in our hearts by the Spirit, would move in power. Our only hope for peace in a peaceless home, our only hope for peace in a strife-filled marriage, our only hope for peace between races, between the rich and the poor, is that we would invite the Prince of Peace in, that he would rule and reign more and more and more over our lives, that he indeed would be king, that he might transform all of who we are and indeed the entire world. And so we ask, this is point three, what does his peace look like? What does it look like? Our text this morning ends with probably what is one of the most well-known descriptions of Jesus' kingdom come in full. It's beautiful. Artists throughout the centuries have portrayed this section of Scripture in amazing works of art. Would you read it with me? Verses 6 to 9. The wolf shall dwell with the lamb, and the leopard shall lie down with the young goat, and the calf and the lion and the fattened calf together We've seen the outflow of who King Jesus is, his action, how he will judge and rule and reign, and we long for the day. But the fruit of this perfect reigning is this kind of kingdom, this kind of land, where predator and prey lie together in peace. Threat of danger or violence is done away with. Why? Look at verse 9. They shall not hurt or destroy in all my holy mountain for the earth shall be full of the knowledge of the Lord as the waters cover the sea. For all shall know the king. All shall bend the knee even as you and I know him and bend the knee to him today by his spirit. What makes for peace? King Jesus makes for peace. Only King Jesus makes for peace. Unless you think that this peace is exclusive. Perhaps you're watching right now and you're not a follower of Jesus and you're asking yourself, how can I get in on that? Look at verse 10 of Isaiah 11 with me. And this is good news to you. Our text ends this morning with an invitation. In that day, the root of Jesse, who shall stand as a signal for the peoples of him, shall the nations inquire and his resting place shall be glorious. In his life, death, and resurrection, Jesus has raised a banner. And on that banner, it reads things like this. All who are tired, come to me. All who found the peace of this world to be empty, unsatisfactory, insufficient, hollow, come to me. All who are fighting to keep control right now, all who have realized in these past eight, nine months their limits, come to me. Come unto me. Inquire of me, Jesus says, and I will give you peace that transcends the promises of tranquility and harmony that our age gives to us. I will give you peace, capital P, peace, true peace. What makes for peace, friends? only total surrender and submission to the good King who will rule with justice, under whom we all will flourish, indeed the one who will make all things new. This is our Advent hope, that Jesus, our King, brings peace. Let's pray. And so, Father, we come this morning in a peaceless world, needing to be reminded again by Your Spirit of the peace that Your Son Jesus has come to bring, is currently bringing through us and Your followers throughout the world, and will bring in full on the last day. Encourage us by Your Spirit. Remind us of this truth. Make it real to us by Your Spirit, we pray. In Jesus' name, amen.